Carden. Blair. We're back. Episode 15, buddy. Milestone. We've done it. Uh, and this is a very special episode. Yeah, it's very, very special. Uh, I have been... This episode's been in the works for a while. Um, I about I think it was a, a month ago. I was telling you that maybe it was a little bit farther that we had just finished recording a podcast, and I went to to sleep with all of that on my head, and I had this dream that you were uh, you were not happy with the way the podcast. Oh yeah, the violent on. dream where I was <laughs> yes. I was I was angry with you. Or you were something. yeah, you were very upset, and I don't yeah, I, I don't I, think. Yeah, I think it was on the the corner of enough of violence to where I was like, wow, I I need to get out of here. But it was one of these things where I I couldn't, it was like half the dream I was in mud and I couldn't move at all, any of my body. And then when I finally was able to move, I was tying uh, bicycle tires onto a a bike (laughs) so that I could actually try to get away away from you, which was not well, working at all. <laughs> you know, Cardin, I, I don't even know what to tell you about that. It, it's like, if only we had an expert on dreams. Well, it's funny you should say that because we absolutely do. So we have, uh, we're just going to jump right in. This is going to be about dreams. And we have um, Antonio Zadra here is a professor from the University of Montreal and a researcher at the Center for Advanced Research in Sleep Medicine. Um, he is interested in uh, specific kinds of dreams and has conducted numerous studies on lucid dreams, nightmares, and recurrent dreams, uh, along with Robert Stickgold, a professor at Harvard Medical School and director of the Center for Sleep and Cognition. They have authored a book called When Brains Dream, which explores the science and mystery of sleep. So we're very excited to have um, Tony here with us. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Would you... Uh, kind of fill our audience in and a little bit about your your background if you would uh sure my background uh is a a typical one um in the respect that very few people grow up thinking i want to study dreams for a living and you know is that even possible and so um I essentially became a dream researcher because of a dream that I had. And so this might sound quite corny, but it's it's the truth. And so when I was in college, uh, my plan was to hopefully get into a medical school, follow in my brother's uh, footsteps, and then see where that would take me. Um, but I had this really long, extremely vivid dream, uh, which I later found out had a name, uh, namely lucid dreaming, uh, in which I, I, I had been wrongly convicted of a crime. I was sent to jail. Um, I ended up being stabbed by an inmate who was actually... Uh, a buddy of mine that from high school who ended up stabbing me in the chest oh, in the hand. Um, yeah, you think you had troubles with your bicycle wow. there. Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> anyways, I, I managed to, during a power failure, to escape the jail by running across the prison yard, and there were these sharpshooters uh, shooting at me, and I could see the bullets landing in the grass uh, all around me. And I approached this running full sprint, this barbed wire fence which must have been about 15 or 18 feet high. And I just kept thinking, you know, you got to get over it. You got to get over it. And I just, I leapt and somehow cleared the fence and landed in this big mountain of snow. And it's only when I landed on the other side of the snow that I started thinking, I think something is off. And 
Um, it had nothing to do about, you know, being stabbed by a, a former high school buddy of mine and, and being put in jail because of I didn't have a, a receipt for, you know, some grocery bill or something. Um, but I, I looked behind me and the, well, the, the sharpshooters were gone. Um, my stab wounds had all sort of magically healed. Uh, I was lying in a pile of snow, but the prison yard behind me was still covered in grass. Um, and so I thought, wow, okay, something's off here. And the only explanation that made sense was that I was dreaming. But I had trouble accepting that because everything was so realistic. And I kept thinking back to all those really vivid memories of, you know, my being put in jail and my trying to escape. And, and, and by the way, I usually am unable to leap, you know, 15, 20 feet in the air, even at my best in my youth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and so I, I, the first thing I did, I just made a snowball and I was just amazed by the feeling of coldness that was permeating my hand. Cause I was telling myself, well, my hands are in bed right now with the rest of my body, I hope. And so I'm in my bed, I'm sleeping, but here I am in this virtual world and I'm, and I'm feeling cold as snow, which is non-existent. And then I threw it to the first guy I saw, which ended up being sort of like this big biker dude, unfortunately. And he got really angry and took a few steps in my direction and, and said that he was going to punch me out. And I panicked for a moment because I, I forgot that I was dreaming. Anyways, I, I met other intriguing dream characters, including this one guy who ended up being a recurrent dream character later on in the years that followed in the sense that I've dreamt of him afterwards. But he tried to convince me that my whole experience wasn't a dream. Anyways, when I woke up from that, it was one of the first dreams that I uh, wrote down in detail. Uh, and that really uh, had me sufficiently perplexed to start reading everything and anything that I could get my hands on, on, on dreams and eventually sleep, uh, including, you know, well, what I now consider semi-fictional works like by Carlos Castaneda. And so anyways, I, I was having fun reading all of this stuff, being really intrigued. And at around the same time, there were these uh, studies coming out of Stanford University by a researcher uh, doing his doctoral thesis there on lucid dreaming, uh, a man by the name of uh, Stephen Laberge, who was showing that you can actually study lucid dreams in the sleep lab. And these were real um, events and you could study their psychophysiology. So I thought, wow, you know, there's people who study dreams, I mean, seriously, in the lab and so on. Um, and so I decided that that's what I would try to end up doing if that was possible. And uh, the fact that I'm here chatting with you today is, you know, shows that, you know, things sort of work out. And, <laughs> yeah. and by the way, wh while some people around me at the time thought it was absolutely nuts to you know, forego a possibility of going to medical school to study dreams. Um, uh, my mom thought it was a, a really fine alternative. And she said, Tony, what, whatever you want to do, I'm sure it'll work out. Uh, but she was probably like the only one. That sounds like a, that sounds like a mom. Yeah, it's yes, say, that's a, a mom mind. comment for sure. Definitely. Uh, so, Absolutely. So Tony, so Tony uh, first thing I hear this now, I have a son. He's 21. This kid dreams all the time. And he he dreams where he can remember, and I'm t I'm not like that. We've spent a lot of days when he was living with us. He'd say, "Dad, you got to hear about my dream last night." So, hearing your experience, had you had 
a lot of, were you an active dreamer and were you the kind of guy that could remember your dreams when you'd had them? Um, it was, I would say variable. I'd had, um, I, I would say maybe starting roughly around when I was 13 or so 14, I had a lot of fantastic flying dreams. I'd had the occasional, uh, lucid dream, usually in these, uh, flying dreams of mine. Um, I'd had a few memorable ones, but I would say that I was never really particularly interested in, in remembering them or noting them down. I did after that fateful dream. And then I started keeping uh, a dream diary, which I maintained for uh, on and off for you know, a couple of decades afterwards. Um, and so if I put my mind to it and I, I allowed myself the right conditions to remember my dreams, I often would. And I got to the point where I was remembering um, a dream on pretty much every morning and sometimes multiple dreams because I would wake up uh, during the night remembering dreams and I would sort of uh, turn on this red light that I had and I would uh, jot them down at the time. But dream recall is quite malleable in the sense you can train yourself to remember uh, your dreams. But of course, some people, um, remember the dreams naturally more easily than others for, for a whole bunch of reasons. And, and do you see, um, uh, traits for, for people that, um, can like, for example, archetypes of people that you would consider have dreams either more frequently that they remember, or is there a specific type of person even for maybe like lucid dreaming? Like I'm, I'm a person that hasn't had what I would consider an actual lucid dream, maybe one, but nothing nearly like the experience that you're describing. Do you think that there is um, specific types of people that are more prone to these experiences? Um, yes, there's, there's um, good evidence that there's psychological and there are physiological differences in high dream recallers versus people who very rarely remember their dreams. So um, for one thing, it appears that people who have very high dream recall have these types of micro awakenings would be the best way to describe it that occur frequently throughout the night. And one hypothesis is that these micro transitions between sleep and partial wakefulness allows our memories of whatever dreams or um, images were going through our minds at the time to be encoded into long-term memory. Then we also know that people who are actively interested in their dreams tend to have better dream recall than those who are who are not. And then another factor is uh, what I was mentioning earlier, you know, I, I said, yeah, I can recall them if I allow myself to. And what I mean by that is, you know, most of us um, wake up with a uh, alarm. And so we're artificially awoken by this external stimulus. And so we open our eyes, we turn it off. Uh, often, you know, as soon as we open our eyes, we're thinking, okay, I got X, Y, Z to do today. And, and so your mind activates. And so the, the memory of dreams are, is very fragile. And so if already upon awakening, you know, you start thinking about your day and you open your eyes and move about, then anything that may have been there quickly dissipates. And so during the pandemic, one thing that is uh, of interest is many people are reporting, uh, remembering and having much more vivid dreams. And there are probably many reasons for this, but two main ones that apply outside of pandemic circumstances um, are as follows. One, 
the most vivid dreams we have, and by that I mean not just vivid in terms of the sensations, but also the more bizarre and emotionally uh, engaging, tend to happen out of a stage of sleep called REM sleep for rapid eye movement sleep. It is also where most lucid dreams take place, nightmares. Um, so again, these really more compelling dreams. Now, REM sleep occurs in cycles throughout the night in about 90-minute periods, and as the night progresses, these cycles get longer and longer. Why this is important is because during the pandemic, more people are sleeping in a bit longer than what they normally do because people are working at home or if they have classes, they don't have to get to the high school or college or university. Um, and so there's not, so all that time that they usually spend getting ready to go take uh, the bus or the metro or what have you um, is sort of saved. And so people are sleeping in a bit longer. And when you do that, the kind of sleep that you're most likely to have is this REM sleep. And so people are allowing themselves to sleep in a bit more, like some people do on weekends. Um, and then it's more likely that when they awaken, they might have been in a particularly long REM period. Some of them can last 30, 40 minutes. Uh, and so it's easier to remember dreams. But the other interesting thing is many people are taking more time before starting their day. So they linger in bed a little longer. So again, this allows you to, uh, if you were dreaming, to have a better chance of remembering them because people are, are not immediately rushed to get out of the house. And so they're lingering in bed, they're keeping their eyes closed. And those are all conditions that favor uh, dream recall. And we also know that you can train yourself to remember your dreams a bit better. So one interesting thing is you can just use something as simple as auto-suggestion. Just tell yourself as you're going to sleep that you will remember your dreams. Yeah, the other yeah, one, interesting. Yeah. Well, and the other one is uh, simply to start keeping a dream diary. And if all you start remembering on occasion is a brief image, uh, a little scene, uh, start jotting those down. And the more you start writing them down, for many people, especially low dream recallers, the more dreams they end up uh, remembering. And again, because you're getting into the practice of taking the time every morning to see if you remember anything and, and to go over it and then commit it uh, to either a dictaphone, your smartphone or paper, what have you, but to make a record of it, that then you can return to it and sort of re-experience those little uh, fragments or longer dreams that you might have had. Okay, so I... Uh... And, and, and that was my short answer. <laughs> I think this is going to be our first three-hour podcast, Garden. I'm, no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm uh, I'm ready to is. start my well, dream that's journal. the problem with this. It, there's so many different. Yeah, I mean, it, there's it. Yeah, it's it's very. It's one of those topics that there's so many angles to come at. So uh, there's angles and there's rabbit holes. Right. So so Tony. So here's I'm I'm kind of like Cardin. I've had two lucid dreams in my adult life that I can remember. And hearing you tell your story, how your lucid dream had an effect on your life, the, the one that I had wasn't nearly as involved. As a matter of fact, about 20 seconds after, or not even, it was very shortly after I realized I was dreaming and I wanted to fly. I mean, I, I do fly. I'm a, I'm a recreational pilot. And, but I, I instantaneously, once I recognized I was having a lucid dream, 
I wanted to fly. And I was so excited, my dream. And as soon as I tried, I woke up. Right. And, and that kind of wet my appetite. So hearing you talk about these, these auditory, auditory cues, I, I got on Google and I was, I, you know, and this is not really something I'd really had an interest, but having that, that five second lucid dream, it just, it wet my appetite. So I started reading about how to induce lucid dreams. And there was this one guy on YouTube and he, he went through this quick demonstration. He said, okay, you need to, you need to make a recording and have it go off in the middle of the night when you're sleeping. And so I did. I made this recording and it had this really low bass wah, wah, kind of sound. And then I whispered into it, Blair, you're dreaming. <laughs> and I repeated that like four. And this is per his, just, you know, his, his instructions, right? So this thing would go off on my phone and it would have this sound and it would come this whisper voice, Blair, you're dreaming. And all that thing ever did was just wake me up. I it never induced a dream. It uh, it probably should have given me nightmares, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of it was kind of creepy. Yeah. But but when I read some of your work, the, the study with the lucid dream uh, that you did with uh, to to try to prove that you can induce lucid dreaming, that was fascinating to me, especially from a guy that has tried to do it, had little to no success. Um, and your, your lucid dream induction, um, study was, or I guess that's what you'd say was, was incredibly interesting. Could you kind of talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. First of all, I'll start by saying that there's no lack of the kinds of advice that you read about, uh, on the web uh, to induce lucid dreaming and, and some of it, um, has an element of, um, truth to them in that they can be effective, uh, some of them not at all. Uh, the one you mentioned, the problem with that is those kind of auditory cues, they need to be delivered in REM sleep. You need to have uh, the right tone, volume. Again, you, it has to be loud enough so it gets incorporated, but not too loud to awaken you. Um, anyways, uh, be that as it may, we know today that with all these different techniques, including uh, technologically assisted ways of inducing lucid dreams, pharmacological ways of inducing uh, lucid dreams. For better or for worse, the most effective ways are these kinds of cognitive training that we do while we are awake. And so I, I say for better or for worse because they tend to be quite a bit more demanding. It's a bit like weight loss. You know, people want that pill, but you know, exercise still really works well um, and, and watching right, what you right. eat. And so yeah. in, in these techniques for lucid dreaming, uh, what you're, one thing you're trying to develop is a more critical frame of mind when you're awake with the hope that this critical outlook transfers to your dreaming brain so that in the dream, the next time you see something unusual or very bizarre, you don't go, oh my gosh, I didn't know I had a twin. Hi, Bob, how you doing? Right? And, <laughs> yeah. and you just like, la-di-da, this is so, yeah. wow, okay. Very and normal. You, yeah, 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 and you also have a pet camel. Wow, that's that's really <laughs> cool. Uh, no, so, and so you can do different things while you are awake. You can do these things called uh, reality tests. Reality tests are um, little actions that you can do while you are awake uh, that usually work fine while you are awake, 
But when you try to execute them in a dream, they usually go wrong. So reading is one good example. If you try to read uh, a text, if you open a book and you start reading, uh, well, when you're awake, usually not a problem. In a dream, the letters are either uh, jumping about uh, or they don't make sense. Or if you're one of the few people who can read a couple of sentences, if you look away and you look back at your text, the chances are it will have morphed into something else. And the reason is quite simple. In the dream, there's no physical book. You're asking your brain to create hundreds of words <laughs> in order and then read them. And the people who say, oh, I can do that, uh, I tell them, well, why don't we try right now while you're awake? And I ask them, close your eyes, imagine a text. Are you able to read? And they go, yeah, 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 I can. I ask them to read. And they might say, well, the concerns don't have to be big ones. And, and so they're reading whatever. And then I say, okay, read that sentence backwards, please. All right? And then they freeze. <laughs> Right? Why? Because it's just everything breaks down. But if you had a real book in front of you, there'd be no problem because there actually are real physical words there. So reading is one thing. You can try to press um, your fingers of one hand against your palm. And well, in wakefulness, you'll kind of feel them, but you know, they shouldn't go through your hand. In dreams, they sometimes will. You can count your fingers. Uh, there should be five. In dreams, there might be four or there might be six, or you might think you're Homer Simpson or something of that nature. Um, and so it's these things that tend to go wrong. If you look at, at a clock, a time in, in a dream, and again, you look away and you look back, often it has changed. It, so things are a bit unstable. So these are reality tests. And so if you Google them, you'll find a whole bunch of examples of reality tests. And so the idea, you can also set up your phone that, you know, to beat randomly during the day, and when it beeps, you know, do a reality test. Um, the other thing you can do is to get into the habit of asking yourself, am I dreaming? Anytime something unusual um, or emotionally salient happens to you, but you got to really take the exercise seriously, even though you're fully aware that you are awake. So think about, um, well, why is this unusual? Pay attention to your clothes. Are those really your clothes? Uh, do you remember how you got there? In dreams, you know, you might be in a in a um, in, inside a building, you know, and you're at work or what have you, and you go, oh, you know, how did I get here? And then you go, well, actually, right. I don't remember waking up. I don't remember driving here. I don't. Um, and so th these kinds of questions about am I dreaming and then to think it through, you practice this at different times, again, with the hope that you do it so often that when something unusual or bizarre happens to you in a dream, you sort of have that reflex uh, to ask yourself that. And then if you've done it well enough, uh, then you'll realize, oh my gosh, I'm dreaming. Now, you guys mentioned something also uh, fascinating that, you know, you can realize that you're dreaming, but that's the actually, or unfortunately, the easy part. The tough part is then staying lucid in your dream. It's very, very easy to forget that you're dreaming. I mentioned this dream character who tried to convince me uh, that everything was not a dream and, and he became a recurrent dream character and he went as far as saying, look, Tony, I also sleep at night. I also dream. I'm not telling you that you're not real. And so I sort of gave up at that point. I just enjoy his presence and chatting with him. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, 
I have no idea. You know, when you ask a dream character, even in a lucid dream, a question, you have no idea what they're going to respond. And that to me is absolutely fascinating because these characters are created by your brain. And so in a very real way, your brain, you don't know what you're going to do next. Right? Yeah, because you ask them a really question yeah. and they can break down crying or you dream of your ex and she wants to get back together and you go, why are you crazy? And she tells you why she wants to get back together or, yeah. Uh, yeah. or, or again, these people who are, you know, monsters, what have you, or creatures chasing you or, or your boss who's really displeased with your work. I mean, they act as if they have sometimes their own thoughts, their own feelings, but also they are completely unpredictable to us. And so in a very real way, we are surprising ourselves continually in these dreams. So what I was saying is that it's hard to stay lucid, so it's easy to forget that you're dreaming, but it's also easy if you get too excited about what's going on to wake up. So just like mm -hmm. really intense negative emotions can wake you up, like out of a nightmare, really yeah. intense positive emotions can wake you up. So you have to start learning to... Uh, it's like walking on a tightrope. On one side, you have to be careful if you're a little uh, too detached, you're going to forget that you're dreaming. And uh, if you get too excited, you run the risk of waking up. And then it gets even a bit more complicated because you can be really loose in the dream, know that you're in bed, you're sleeping and so on, but your rationality is still off. When, when I was writing my, my thesis, I had a dream which ended up later being a lucid dream where I met Carl Jung and Carl Jung had this incredible office and I'm in there and he starts telling me in, in also fascinating to me because he was talking to me in a great German accent and it was very convincing. And if I was to try to give you a German accent right now, you, you'd break out laughing. That's how bad it is. But somehow my brain, you know, created one that was really compelling. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And so he's telling me all these great things and doing these diagrams of stuff that I could include in my thesis. And I was like, by then I knew I was dreaming. I thought, well, I'm not going to remember all of this. It's too complicated. So I thought my brilliant solution, I'm going to take notes. So I started taking all kinds of notes and, and drawing the diagrams that he was drawing. And then when I woke up, well, you know, those notes weren't there to be found, of course. And so I thought it was being clever in the dream by taking notes in the dream, not thinking it through that when I wake up, you know, my, those notes are not there. Uh, there's loose dreamers can be, you know, swimming underwater and then go, oh my gosh, I got a surface to breathe. Uh, no, you don't. Uh, and so again, being rational, thinking things through, um, learning to use this awareness at your dream to influence how the dream unfolds. Those are other sort of layers of complexity uh, to lucid dreaming. But uh, most of this can be learned or at the very least uh, improved upon. And I was mentioning before using uh, auto-suggestion to help remember your dreams. Uh, you can also use that to help induce lucid dreaming. You got nothing to lose except, you know, uh, a minute of telling yourself that you're going to have a lucid dream tonight. Well, and the worst that can happen is that, you know, well, you won't.
Well, yeah, and 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 I yeah, a lot of what you described of of things that I've already tried um, with the lucid dreaming because I was very much like Blair when I found out that this was a thing. I, I kind of immersed myself in it to try. Was doing dream journals and was you know doing the reality checks, just like you said, checking my watch throughout the day, and it it just never it never came to fruition. But I, I'm interested in the people that you've had in your study that you've been able to coach for lack of a better word to induce into um this kind of lucid state do they are they responsive and are they wanting to continue on to have that experience is it something that they really um, want to try to keep doing and and have every single night or are there mixed uh, experiences um, that's an, another excellent question. I think there's mixed really experiences. There's the, some people a bit like yourself, you know, who might have had a glimpse in lucid dreaming. And so they're interested because they like to have more. Um, some that have had them on occasion, but they'd like them to sort of prolong a bit longer or do stuff they never got around to doing, uh, flying, meeting particular people, what have you. Um, but again, in, in that particular study, uh, many of these participants were doing these all these um, cognitive tasks and trainings in the daytime, but they did it for weeks on end. And many of them, uh, you know, it took several weeks of trying before they got their first lucid dream. Uh, but many people like to continue and often it goes uh, in phases, there's phases where you find you have the energy and you dedicate yourself to it and it may or may not pan out. Um, and then there's other times where you're just too busy or too concerned with other things to do all these reality checks. And, um, and then there's other techniques like waking yourself very early in the morning, uh, engaging yourself in, uh, some kind of meditative or other cognitive activity and then falling back to sleep with the intention of having a lucid dream. Uh, this is wake initiated lucid dreaming. They're called, called wild. There's all kinds of acronyms for different uh, approaches to inducing lucid dreams. So they can get quite involving because you start actually manipulating, you know, when you wake up, when you fall back asleep, always with the intention of maximizing how close you're formulating all this when you next fall back into REM sleep. So if you, you know, you go to bed 11 or 12 uh, and then you wake up at five in the morning and you stay awake till quarter to six, chances are when you finally go back to sleep around six in the morning, you'll probably be in REM sleep within, you know, five, 10 minutes. And so it's a little easier for your brain to remember that you want to have a lucid dream 10 minutes later than it is if you told yourself you wanted to do that when you went to bed and the first REM period, which will last very shortly, maybe 10, 15 minutes is at least an hour and a half away. And so there, there's different ways, but to come back to your, your question, I think it, it's really quite um, variable. There's certainly some people who become, I wouldn't say addicted to it, but a sort of obsessed uh, with wanting to have these dreams. Uh, on the other hand, there's some people who have a lot of lucid dreams and really wish they did not. It's a minority, but they find it sort of uh, tiring. There's people also who are aware that they're dreaming, but unable to influence the dream in any way. And worse still, some have what are called lucid nightmares, uh, a fairly 
rare phenomena, but well enough described uh, by lucid dreamers, and going all the way back uh, to Frederick Van Eden, who in 1913 wrote this paper on lucid dreams, where the name lucid dreaming uh, originates from. And so already back over 100 years ago, he had described these uh, lucid nightmares, which are basically these lucid dreams in which you are being often attacked or pursued by by, by these god-awful creatures that are like they're, they're a mixture of that you know the devil and whatever else you know you can imagine of being uh, horrific and not only are you stuck in this kind of horrible dream scenario you are unable to wake up for long periods of time oh. um, and so you know some people have this and they really wish they did not and understandably so yeah, so i was gonna say i can understand <laughs> why yeah that sounds terrifying Jeez, yeah, no uh, kidding. it's a movie you know on, on the other hand there's you know a lot of the people who are lifelong lucid dreamers or the really proficient ones who can come into the sleep lab and oh we haven't got into the how you can signal to experimenters from within your dream that you're lucid. And, and I think, uh, to me, that's one of the coolest aspects of lucid wait, dreaming. Okay, wait, you got to describe that. So you're saying that somebody can be in a lucid dream asleep and signal to you as a researcher that they're currently lucid dreaming. I, I think that's the eye movement. Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and by the way, this has now been done in over... Uh, you know, maybe two dozen different laboratories over the last 20, 30 years uh, all over the world. So this is a really well-established uh, protocol or phenomena. But essentially, yes. So you remember I was mentioning a stage of sleep that most closely associated with vivid, vivid dreaming, known as REM sleep, for this rapid eye movements. It turns out that if when you're having a lucid dream, if you do extreme eye movements, sort of like look extreme left, right, left, right in your dream, the electrodes monitoring your real eye movements under your closed eyelids in the lab will detect those movements because your real eyes will go extreme left, right, left, right. And so you have someone, so the, the idea is you tell your participants uh, if and when you become lucid, in your uh, dream tonight, I want you to do these, let's say, four left, right, left, right signals. And they really stand out on these um, eye movement recordings on these paper or electronic tracing, because people rarely do those kinds of sequential extreme movements. And then that's not all. Then you say, okay, you signal that you're lucid, and then I want you to do this activity. Uh, count to 10. So when you're about to start counting to 10, I want you to do a second signal. And when you're done counting to 10, you do a third signal. So now I know that between signal two and three, the person was counting to 10 or singing or doing squats or clenching their hand, whatever you ask them to do. And so you can look precisely at what's going on in their bodies or in their brains when you know that they were doing a specific activity within their lucid dream. But yes, these people are in the lab, they're asleep, they're in REM sleep, they are become aware that they're dreaming and they go, oh yeah, I'm in Tony's lab and you know, he wants me to signal. So here's the first signal. And, but they're in their dream doing this. And, that's, and that's now I, I've had, I've had the good fortune of being a, 
someone doing the signaling from inside a dream and of seeing people signaling and and both are super cool uh, now does it uh, this is kind of a weird question but does the does the time remain the same so if you say okay count to 10 between your signals is it pretty consistent that it, it's a 10 segment second signaling um on the on the researcher side yeah so if you count to 10 in your dreams it takes you know 10 seconds <laughs> um that said uh time perception gets really tricky in general even during you know wakefulness i mean you get really absorbed into a novel or a book or a piece right, of music right, and, right. and yeah or you know it's a rainy day you know when you're 12 years old and you can't go out and you know those minutes are endless so uh, so in dreams can be uh, similar. You can have things that seem to take place over long periods of time that really took place in short periods. But yes, if you ask people uh, to count to 10, um, it, it takes about 10 seconds. Interestingly, if you ask them to take 10 steps and you count how long it takes them to take 10 steps compared to when you ask them to take 10 steps when they are awake, it takes a bit longer for those 10 steps to happen in a lucid dream. Mm -hmm. uh, so things might be a little bit slowed down in that respect. But if you're just counting 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, um, that's, that takes about as long as it does if you were awake. And the interesting things about uh, all of these studies is they show us that uh, as far as your brain is concerned, and to a certain extent your, your body, dreaming about doing something is really very similar for your brain as if you were really doing it. Uh, and so when you look at people counting, uh, singing, clenching their fists, the areas of the brain that normally would be activated when you're doing these things when awake are similarly activated during REM sleep. And so that's probably one reason why they are or can feel so real is because for your brain, these things are actually happening. You know, your brain is a bath of electricity, neurochemistry, and to the extent that you have similar neurochemistry and electrical impulses going through the right circuits in your brain, um, it can feel quite compelling and realistic, which is why, you know, when that monster appears, we run away. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. we often only realize that we were in a dream when we wake up, you know, if we set aside lucid dreams. So by and large, while we are immersed in dreaming, we believe that it is real. So, so Tony, I, uh, I had the experience of meeting a, a young man and he was in an automobile accident. He was in a coma for about three and a half months. And he told me that while he was in his coma, he was living his life. He went to the lake with his friends. He said everything was normal. When he came out of his coma, he thought he was dreaming. Is that, I mean, maybe a, a very isolated instance, or have you heard feedback from people that have been in comas, you know, that have brain activity? Um, is that something you've heard before? Um, that's a trickier one to answer only because there are many subtypes of comas. And so a coma isn't really a homogeneous state. There are all kinds of variations, um, depending again by what they're caused by. And so sure. you have 
some that look to be in comas but aren't. You have this phenomenon, for instance, called locked-in syndrome, where people look to be completely unresponsive and unreactive, but are fully consciously aware, uh, but unable to move or do anything. Uh, mm. in, they're re- literally trapped inside their uh, well, inside their minds and inside their bodies. But one thing that is fascinating with these individuals, who again for a long time we assumed were. In, in the sense of most people understand it in a coma, completely uh, detached, unresponsive, people would tell them, and, and originally the researchers thought, you know, that they were maybe wasting their time. So they were saying, look, if you can hear me, I'm going to ask you a question. And if the answer is yes, I want you to imagine watching a tennis game so that you're looking left, right, left, right. And the reason they pick this is because these kinds of observations that you do even in your imagination uh, give rise to particular well-known activation patterns in your brain when you do it when you are awake and just imagining this and then they're saying if the answer is no i want you to imagine this other activity which give rise to a very different and again keep in mind these people are completely unresponsive their eyes are closed they're you know uh, mm-hmm. And they brought them in these brain scanners, and then they would ask them, you know, is this your name? And then the area, you know, that corresponds to watching the tennis, which is a yes answer, lights up. Are you a young child? The area that corresponds to no lights up. And so this is one of the ways where people said, oh, my gosh, these people have a sense of self-awareness in there. And anyway, so this is one form of coma is where I was trying to get to called fascinating, called locked in syndrome, but seen from the outside uh, looks maybe indistinguishable from other kinds. And so there's various kinds of vegetative states. So, Tony, you had uh, you had mentioned that you um, some lucid dreamers (laughs) describe being tired after they've had lucid dreams. So is the, is a part of lucid dreaming that actually affects the ability to get a, a good night's rest? Um, that's a, also an interesting question. By and large, trying to have lucid dreams or lucid dreaming in and of itself shouldn't really impact your overall sleep quality. And, and people have lucid dreams so infrequently. And even those... Uh, that have them, you know, uh, several times a week, it's really a small portion of just one of several REM periods. And so it, it should not in and of itself make them feel tired. Now, some people, because the techniques they're trying to use to induce lucid dreaming, waking up really early, uh, sleep depriving themselves so that they can have REM rebound periods, things of that nature, uh, that can lead to different kinds of uh, fatigue. But, you know, it's not because you're a lucid dreamer that you're immune to having sleep disorders. And so, uh, you know, maybe you're a lucid dreamer, but you also suffer from sleep apnea, or you have restless leg syndromes, or you have something else with your sleep. And you might be attributing this uh, to your lucid dreaming, but there might be something else underlying that's uh, making you feel yeah. tired, but you, you attributed that to uh, lucid dreaming. And some people r- attribute that to their dreams in general. They say, I have a feeling that I dreamt all night long and I find it really tiring. Uh, 
so I think it's hard to sort of say, but lucid dreaming in and of itself should not, um, for most people, make them feel uh, tired or interfere with the quality of their so sleep. If you run a, a marathon, your lucid dream, you shouldn't feel like it that when you woke up. Then. That's good to know. That's good. <laughs> no, but I'd be, curious to, I'd be curious to know how long those 26 miles, how many steps were involved and how long it took. Uh, okay, so uh, when Cardin and I were doing our little deep dive on this, Tony, um, we were we were looking at some some questions to 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 hit you with, and one of the things that really really interested me was um, a study that I found, and I'm just going to give you the gist of the study, and I'd like you to kind of give me your your take on it. Um, this is a study that was was uh, printed in Frontiers in Neuroscience. The author was Enzo Tagalazuki or Zucci. Uh, and he works with the Brain and Spinal Institute in Paris. And what this study was regarding was psychedelics. Uh, they did a study, and they produced the psychedelics were the main uh, drug they found that would actually produce experiences that were most similar to lucid dream experiences. And before you comment, I just want to read you the title of this study. Cardin, you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. The experience elicited by hallucinogens presents the highest similarities to dreaming within a large database of psychoactive substance reports. Hmm. Yep. Now, that sounds like some good before you go to bed reading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put you to bed I'm reading. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Those, those academics, those crazy academics. <laughs> I mean, so, so this really interested me because LSD and psilocybin, a lot of those... Um, you know, hallucinogenics and the psychedelics are are having kind of this resurgence. And I'm sure you're more aware than we are. But the comparison to lucid dreaming and even the insinuation that people might be taking these drugs to induce lucid dream-like experiences, that kind of blows my mind because I'm because a lot of what you've talked about and what I've read about lucid dreaming is if we can harness the ability to you know, to have lucid dreams, you know, on our own. Um, you know, how do you think that, or what is your opinion how that ties in with the psychedelics? I mean, do, do you think this could be a potentially powerful um, ability that people could, you know, kind of harness? Well, it would depend to harness to what end. And so I think the comparison is exactly that. It's a comparison, it's an analogy, and it's a way of saying, well, the closest we can describe these psychedelic states would be these kinds of um, dreamy states or trippy states. There are some parallels you can draw. So you mentioned uh, LSD, uh, psilocybin. Now, one interesting property of these substances is that they act on certainergic systems. And one of the impacts of having this um, beyond the more hallucinatory-like experience is this feeling, this compelling feeling that what you are experiencing is very important, that there is a meaning to it. And so um, even be before LSD be was rendered um, illegal, um, there were actually studies going on in the United States where people would take lysergic acid, diethylamide, um, in divinity schools, theologians, again, because these were viewed as a door into um, these more mystical, 
uh, spiritual uh, experiences mm -hmm. and where you have this feeling that you are really experiencing something that's particularly salient and meaningful. Now, uh, later on in the 60s, when this became much more common, you know, so there's all these famous examples of people who had these profound revelations and then they would write them right, down right but then when they would wake up well when they wake up you know when, when they when the drugs wore off they would read what they wrote and you know it, it made very not little so sense profound. it was overly simplistic yeah. right so not so yeah. profound yeah like when you flush the toilet everything and everything is underlined three yeah. times you know goes down yeah. and they tell you no 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 there was more to it yeah. there's a lot more to it it meant more than this yeah. right uh and that tongue-in-cheek i remember a, a book called oh, i forget what it's called recreational drugs something like that where the guy says well you know my profound revelation when i got up when i you know out of my trip the next day and i read my notes said there's a funny smell in the room <laughs> right uh, now the reason uh this is uh, of interest is because that same inhibition uh that you have of serotonin occurs in REM sleep. And so in that respect, REM sleep and these psychedelic states are very similar, which uh, my co-author Bob Stickold and I believe is one of the explanations why we think, or most people think, their dreams are so meaningful. I mean, you, you have this thing about, again, you meet your twin brother and you both own camels and whatever. If you imagine that while you were awake, you know, you go, you, you, you just disregard it immediately. You, you wouldn't go, you know, go wake up your spouse and go, oh my gosh, listen, I got to tell you what just went through my mind. So I thought I had a twin yeah. brother and his name was Bob, right? And we both owned Campbell. You know, it's just like, yeah. get, get yeah. out of here. But with <laughs> dreams, we have this the compelling feeling that somehow they're very meaningful, that there's something to it. It's just part of the reason why dreams probably have or one of the reasons why they play such a big role in religions, in our views of the world, in death. But it's of interest that maybe one thing that drives the subjective feeling that what we just experience is imbued with meaning uh, is because of the neurochemical state we are in. And we think the brain in dreams, in, or at least in REM sleep, does this intentionally so that we consider the scenarios that it's plunging us in um, seriously. We react to it as if it's real. We consider it. We react. We don't dismiss it. And that, we think, ties into with one of the possible functions of dreams. And so that's sort of one interesting parallel within the psychedelics. Um, and then there's other... Uh, pharmacological agents, galantamine is one of them, which people are experimenting with to try to induce lucid dreaming. Uh, that seems to have some promising venues. Again, one of the difficulties with lucid dreaming, for instance, is that um, there's, I was mentioning that the release of serotonin in the brain is shut off, um, and but also norepinephrine. And norepinephrine is what allows you to focus. And so, you know, if you're in a car accident and someone pulls out a gun, you know, your, your mind isn't just wandering about, oh, yeah, I should have that for supper tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're, you're just zeroing in on the guy or the whomever it is with the gun and all you see is the gun and you're, you're hyper-focused. Well, 
Dreams is the exact opposite of that. You know, that release of norepinephrine is blocked mm -hmm. off. And so your brain naturally wanders. It explores these oh, possibilities, these remote associations, mm -hmm. and the worlds in which you are immersed keep fluctuating. It's a bit like mind wandering, but in a hyper-realistic virtual world. Um, and so that's a fun thing. But if you want to, for instance, have lucid dreaming and remain lucid, um, then, you know, it would really be helpful if you had just a little bit more norepinephrine running through your mm. system, because that would allow you to not forget that you're in a sleep lab and that, you know, someone wants you to do these studies. And that's an interesting thing. Even these proficient lucid dreamers, you bring them to the lab and some of them say, oh, I'm really sorry. I was at my second signaling and then I got distracted oh, yeah. or I forgot about right. the study. And, you know, like they, they were studying, you know, if people could, if people in their lucid dreams were practicing throwing darts, in their lucid dreams, if it actually improved their performance when they were awake. Um, but some of them, you know, they, they were throwing the darts, then they, they see something else, another target, and they go, oh, wow, I wonder if I can get into the bucket, yeah. right? And then the bucket makes a weird sound. So then they go, check, oh, what's in the bucket? Oh, coins. Wow, there's coins in the bucket. So, and then, so Tony, oh my God. So Tony so, we become ADHD in our dreams, then? Is that what happens? <laughs> yeah, on, on severe doses of caffeine. Yes, you're, you're like in, a, in a the, hyperactive in the, the brain is The brain is um, making us do that, though, by shutting off specific chemicals. So it, it, there's a purpose. There. Uh, yes, we think there's a purpose, or at least um, I do, and at least one other person, Bob Stickle, <laughs> does. Uh, but I value his opinion, so I think he's right. <laughs> Well, you um, did kind of, that's a perfect lead in. You'd kind of touched about that. And that's definitely something I want to discuss too about. Um, so then where does that leave us with the function of dreams? What are, what are they doing maybe um, for our waking life then? Okay. So first maybe I'll take a little step back, but not too far back and say, you know, th there's no lack of theories about why we dream. And so some people say, well, it's to regulate emotions. It's to simulate threats. It's to simulate social interactions. Um, it's to solve problems. And each one of these might be true, but it's probably such a small sliver. It's like if you're watching these two people debate the function of the tongue and one saying, well, the tongue is really to taste. And the other one says, no, 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 the tongue allows you mm. to speak. And the guy says, no, no, it's tasting. No, it's speaking. You listen to them and you're going, hey, guys, you're insane. Stop it. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> and so you, you got to think that for every two hours we spend awake, for some still misunderstood reason, your brain shuts down for an hour, right? It's not just that you're resting. You're completely shut off from the external world. So your brain is processing or examining something that is going on within it. And we know over the last 20 years that on top of all kinds of wonderful things sleep does about regulating insulin levels or uh, helping your immune system or releasing growth uh, hormones, uh, things of that nature, it also plays a crucial role in how we process our memories. And so sleep does all kinds of fascinating things. And it's not just 
consolidating memories. It can take a memory, for example, if you've had a traumatic experience, and sort of remove the emotional ed edges, that is, detach the image of what you saw from the emotions you experienced, which allows you to later on adapt to that traumatic experience and sort of move on with your life. And we know when there's a breakdown in these mechanisms, you're more likely to develop things like PTSD. So you have all these processes going on in your sleep that we know now through literally hundreds of studies that sleep plays a key role in how we process memories, how we store them. And we think that dreaming ties into this. But we, when we want to explain why we dream, we can't just say, well, what is REM sleep doing? For two reasons. A, you dream in stages other than REM sleep, and you can also uh, abolish REM sleep because you've had a, a, some kind of concussion or you've had some kind of lesion to your brain, but you can still uh, continue dreaming. So the two can be dissociated. But also REM sleep is a physiological state. When, you know, if you're asking me, Tony, I want to know what's the function of dreams. And I tell you, well, hey, let me tell you about the dream I had last night. So my hippocampus just completely shut down. And then you won't believe this. My norepinephrine, it wouldn't go to my thalamus. Can you can you believe that? And then, oh man, I got to tell you about this part. This is where things get weird. My frontal lobes, yeah, no, right? When we want to know what is the function of dreams, it's why do we have these subjective experiences? Why are we placed in these virtual worlds? You know, the brain could do all kinds of things and does without creating that. So what is the value of doing that? And so what we think is that what your brain is doing in this very unique altered state of consciousness with this, we mentioned a bit before, these unique uh, neuromodulatory changes in your brain in terms of what neurotransmitters are released or blocked and where in your brain, it allows, it places you in this world and then it explores possibilities. It asks, what if? And it explores depending on what your concerns are, what you've experienced during the day, usually more emotionally salient events that get incorporated in dreams. And we also know that in dreams, we rarely have what are called episodic memories, memories, you know, exactly of what we uh, experience. And so we know that the brain uh, don't present us events. It tells stories about mm. them. And so why would it want to do that? And why do we have to be consciously aware? Well, why are we conscious during wakefulness? In wakefulness, we think, or a lot of neuroscientists think, and Antonio DiMaggio, who, who wrote this fantastic book called The Feeling of What Happens, has argued that one thing that consciousness allows us to do during wakefulness is imagine, envision possibilities that allow us to plan. You know, when someone says, you know, would you like salmon for supper? You don't often just go, yes, no. You kind of go through this, hmm, yeah, okay, this would be good. Oh, no, you know, we had it last mm. week. Oh, what, are you, what is a side dish? Or, you know, or should we remodel the kitchen? You know, <laughs> you kind of go through, well, okay, and, and if the cupboards were there, it'd be kind of out of reach and we'd be running. So you plan, and that's, so to be able to imagine, but you're not just 
imagining. You're also having some kind of reaction to what you're imagining. You're going, no, that doesn't feel right. You know, it's not just a rational thing. At the end you go, no, you know, my gut feeling says no, or I don't really feel like having salmon again. And so that's often what guides our decisions. We imagine, we plan, and we think that to come back to dreams, the reason that you have these conscious experiences, these virtual worlds, and that you are conscious in them, is that your brain monitors how you react to these possibilities, to these associations. And if you react strongly to them, it says, oh, I might have really touched onto an association that's useful. I'm going to strengthen that association because it might come in handy down the road. And if you don't, it says, well, it was worth a try. And, you know, those those pink camels, yeah, we'll just forget about There's those. There's always tomorrow night, right? <laughs> There's always tomorrow night. Absolutely. And so we think that essentially uh, dreams is ties into these sleep-dependent memory functions that occur during sleep but that it creates these virtual worlds and puts us in them so that it can explore possibilities. And that allows it to extract new knowledge from what you've experienced or thought about during the day by trying to tie it into these loosely associated events, memories, semantic structures uh, that you already have in store in your brain by virtue of all the life that you've lived to this point. So it's trying to figure out where does this fit in? What can I tie it into that might be of use down the road? And all this takes place while you are dreaming. Whether you remember your dream or you don't remember your dream is really secondary. Now, you might remember your dream and then want to use it for creativity or to artistic inspiration. That's all great. But these are sort of uses you make of dreams. But their adaptive or biological function they take place live online while you're dreaming. If it wasn't the case, I would argue it would make very little sense. So if you spend your life, like many people, rarely if ever remembering your dream, those hours upon hours, I mean, over a lifetime, you spend over six hours, uh, six years, excuse me, immersed just in REM sleep. And we know dreaming occurs in other sleep stages. So those six years, were worthless, it makes very little sense. Right. What about you wake up in the morning, you don't remember a dream, and then you're crossing the street, you see a black cat, and you go, oh my gosh, that's right, last night I had a dream. So now you're remembering it. So now many years later, that fragment you recall acquires some kind of function, mm -hmm. you know, right. and it's just that snippet right. you remember, doesn't make right. sense. Now, it doesn't mean that the dreams that we recall, if you reflect on them, you can use them to learn more about yourself, for to explore creativity, to see if it can help you solve a problem. But that's a bit like the heartbeat. A doctor can listen to your heart and go, oh man, I think we should do a test. Or, you know, yeah, you seem to be, your, your heart seems fine. I mean, whatever it is they do when they put the stethoscope, you know, uh, on your heart and listen. But the heartbeat did not evolve so that the medical doctors could listen to your heartbeat. Right, yeah. It's just a use we make right. of it. And so I think dreams are the same thing. Dreams do their thing online when they're happening every night. Uh, and then if you happen to remember them, you know, good or not, and, and what you make use of them is really like all this extra stuff that we can add on top of it. So that's sort of our um, rough idea um, about 
why we dream. And then the model gets slightly more complicated because uh, dreams have different forms depending the kind of dreams that you have as you're falling asleep or in non-REM sleep or early in the night and later in the night. And so we argue that this function is uh, sort of modulated depending on what kind of dreams you're having with the underlying sleep stage in which they are occurring. But essentially, yeah, it's asking what if and exploring possibilities and monitoring how you react. And that's also why, you know, earlier on, we we're mentioning one thing that to me is fascinating, which is these dream characters that, that we encounter in dreams and how, you know, how it's surprising what they say to us and so on. And so it's important that there's a whole element of the dream world that is outside of our awareness because it's your brain knows about it and you don't you it's creating you i mean you're in bed sleeping right. so your brain creates two things you or a representation of you and places you into this virtual world and it's monitoring both it's monitoring how you react to the world it's created but it's also monitoring how the world you created which is based on your memories, based on your fantasies, is reacting to what you have to say. So when you get angry with your boss in the dream, how does your boss react? Or when you start flying in your dream, you know, what does the ground look like? And is there wind resistance and, uh, and so on? So it's a really dynamic interplay between you and the dream world. And it's, it's honestly, it's absolutely fascinating. And I don't know why anyone would want to go to medical school when you can study this. <laughs> I think I think Cardin just wanted to know why I was trying to kill him with a bicycle tire in his dream. That's, that's what yeah, he's, exactly. that's what he really wanted, to Tony. He just wanted, yeah, I don't know. And why would I choose a bicycle tire? There's a lot of better yeah. things around. I don't so the popular, well, the popular thought that your, your brain is, is shutting down at night so you can get some rest really isn't the case at all. <laughs> Uh, actually, you, your brain is very active, and, that, and that's that's a wonderful thing about the brain is that it it never sleeps. Especially, especially sleep. my brain, <laughs> uh, and not only that, but it dreams. Yeah, that is that's absolutely crazy. incredible. Yeah. So, so Tony, we have kind of a we we have this uh, this kind of uh, fun way of ending our podcast, yeah. and what we do we call it the monkey moment. And we're going to throw a random question and it has really nothing to do with, with uh, what we've been talking about. And it's just, it's a quick take. And uh, the question of the night is for you, Dr. Zadra, do you believe in aliens? Uh, yes, I do. Oh, that was quick, okay. Tony. Ex oh, expand on that. Yeah, that was very fast. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't just say yes. Uh, I think there's good evidence to believe that there is uh, life outside of ours uh, that could be quite advanced uh, somewhere in the universe. They might not be green men, but yeah, I'm quite convinced actually of that. And it's something that I've given uh, quite a bit of thought about. And actually, um, one of my mentors at McGill University, uh, that was one of his big side passions was the study of alien related phenomena and uh, UFOs. And so I think Part of my thinking about all of these questions was largely influenced by him and some other academics who were not, this was not what they did for a living because they wanted right. to keep their jobs, <laughs> right. but they spent a lot of time thinking <laughs> yeah. about it. And so I got access to what led them to uh, adopt certain conclusions or inferences. And I found their arguments of these really 
sane, rational, well-respected yeah. scientists, uh, rather compelling. So yeah, I have no, that's why I had no hesitation in answering that question. Well, that's well, great. That's, that's very nice to hear because Cardin and I always weigh our opinions based on, or at least I do, I, I don't want to speak for Cardin, but I look at what the really intelligent people think. And when I find that that crowd, you know, kind of has reason and rationale to believe those those types of things, I don't feel so bad for believing it. And where I where I live and where Cardin lived, um, this in the 70s was a, a big hotbed for UFOs and actually cattle mutilations. Um, and so it is a it has been a long, you know, um, you know, long history here of the UFO things. And there's been some in, in very interesting accounts. And Cardin and I are, are at, w- at one point hoped to have a guest on who was a sheriff uh, in the 70s here. And he's got some stories that are just mind-blowing. Um, and so, yeah, so it's kind of our fun topic we, we kind of poke at. Um, we're, I haven't had an experience in Cardin. I don't think you've been abducted yet. Have you? No, no, I haven't. And I was going to say, I know that you well, yeah. off science and stuff, but I, I prefer grainy photos and home, home. Videos. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my, that's my you, you, you may have been abducted, but you don't remember it. Just like your no, dreams. Yeah, uh, you know, it, yeah, okay. Right, yes, exactly. that's true. That's true. I'll be dreaming don't, of that yeah. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh geez. Talk about a wormhole that, yeah. Or a rabbit hole. I should say that the, 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 the ones that you read about when the people wake up with scars that weren't there when they went to bed that's like yeah. okay yeah. That, that's that's wow yeah now we're getting on to well territory for sure. i know we're going that's that rabbit hole okay well listen uh tony dr zadder thank you very very much for uh joining yes, us thank you uh, so for the podcast tonight Oh, thank you for having me. It was a blast. It was uh, a lot of fun. Great questions. Thank you. Well, I, I feel like we could easily chew up a weekend just sitting down and, <laughs> and visiting with you. And and it's 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 fascinating just because there's just so much. I mean, you know, you talk about one thing that opens up these other things. So, um, but, you know, uh, if you're open to it, uh, I, I can definitely see the need card and maybe a follow-up podcast at some point. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> We could talk nightmares. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be fast. Do do you, uh, Cardin, do you have nightmares? Uh, you know what? Yeah. I have ones where I'm, uh, I'm frozen and there's, there's stuff that's happening around. Yeah. I've had a few of those that I, I don't think I'll ever be able to forget for sure. See, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I, I really, I can't, well, I don't remember any, you know, so, um, yeah, that that you, that'll you just want to kill your friend with a bicycle. Yeah, well, yeah there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my nightmare player. I guess that's his nightmare. Yeah, that's right. Rolling mine for sure. Yeah. Well, again, uh, Dr. Zadra, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. This is my pleasure. All right, Cardin, until next week, uh, we will uh, bid adieu and uh, good night. Good night, player. <laughs> <laughs>